Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at ElevatePod.com. In this guide, created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at ElevatePod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with the great Gabby Reese today. Oh my goodness, you are going to learn so much about how to evolve, how to reinvent how to surrender and open yourself for bigger possibilities in your life. You're going to learn about introspection. You're going to learn about self-discovery, self-awareness, and why that is impactful and why that is transformational in terms of the way that you engage in your business, the way that you build and strengthen relationships, the way that you negotiate, the way that you develop and strengthen your portfolio, the way that you live a life of fulfillment, And, you know, I know that really, ultimately it comes down to, are we fulfilled? And I think you're going to learn so much about Gabby's story, her journey from being a volleyball legend, a New York times bestselling author, a Nike's first female spokesperson. Uh, I mean, so much more, obviously a prolific entrepreneur and podcast host today, a, a mother, a wife, and someone who's known internationally, but someone who has really reinvented herself continuously. And I think that that's one of the most powerful things, a big takeaway from this episode. You're going to learn so much. You're going to love this episode. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. Before we dive into this phenomenal episode, this phenomenal discussion, please rate, review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. And thank you so much for listening. So grateful to be able to share this phenomenal value with you today. Uh, The fee for listening is really just to pay it forward. Share this with a friend, share this with your network, share this with one person. That's all we ask if you've already done that before. Thank you so much. The fee again for listening today is just to pay it forward. And again, the only way that we can grow is if we earn the value of your introduction. So please, from the bottom of my heart, if you could grab the link, if you could mention Elevate Podcast, you could mention this specific episode to someone else, do that right now. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much. And, And I'm grateful to be able to serve you and to bring massive value for you today. With all that said, without further ado, I want to dive in and introduce you to Gabby Reese, who is not only a volleyball legend, but an inspirational health and fitness leader, podcast host, corporate speaker, New York Times bestselling author, wife and mother. She is the former professional beach volleyball player, 
Olympian and Nike's first female spokesperson in the definition. She's also the definition of both athleticism and beauty. Gabby is a force to be reckoned with in the gym and on the microphone. She's a business leader. She's obviously co-founder of Laird Superfood as well as XPT, Extreme Performance Training. She was a professional volleyball player for many years and a U.S. Olympian. She's an author uh, of the New York Times bestseller, My Foot is Too Big for the Glass Slipper. She's also been a TV host, actress, speaker, world-class model. She's an icon. At the end of the day, we are blessed to be able to speak to the icon, Gabby Reese. So without further ado, please enjoy this incredible exploration and discussion with the great Gabby Reese. Gabby Reese, welcome to Elevate. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing good. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. And of course, we recently spoke with Laird Hamilton, your husband. And I was like, I was just telling you before the podcast today, it's like, hello, we've got to take this a step further. We got to talk to the great Gabby Reese. So thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to be with you today. But as we dive into this conversation, I know we're going to really have a deep conversation. I think we're going to learn a lot. Um, but before we dive into that, if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people that know you best know you, because you know what, you're known across the world in many capacities as, you know, a, a, a professional athlete, as Nike's first spokesperson, Nike's first female spokesperson in all of these different capacities, a New York Times bestselling author, you know, obviously a mom in so many different capacities. But if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people that know you best describe you, what would they say about Gabby Reese? I think uh, the people who know me would say that there's, um, this is really not sexy, but um, something probably pretty consistent about me. Um, I think I have a level of, um, and, and when I say consistent, also along with that means kind of, Laird said to me once that he's like a big flame that goes really, you know, hot and high and then will die down. And then, you know, the next day there it goes again. And I'm more like Sterno where it's like a low flame that's sort of all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think that translates, I think that means, I, I mean, I'm a little bit of a grinder as well, like just kind of chip away, chip away, chip away sort of person. And, um, and then I think also sort of what you typically for the most part, it's like what you see is what you get. I'm not really, overly like different than Laird, right? Laird, everything, what you see is what you get. It's all out there, all his feelings. I I'm probably measured, pretty measured, but, um, but also I, I try even in that level of consistency that the ex the exterior reflects the interior. Yeah. That really resonates with me. And in fact, you know, I feel like we're all so multidimensional and I can find myself at times being, you know, like, like you, where it's like, Hey, I've got this equanimity where I'm kind of staying in the middle ground and, you know, I'm not letting my emotions take me too high. I'm also not letting them take me too low, but there's other times where perhaps the other side of me, you know, shows, and I'm sure the listeners can resonate with that as well. It's like, we've got multi personalities, but that's really helpful to understand that, you know, you would describe yourself or people would describe you as this consistent grinder, this measured individual. Talk to me, does that come from sort of perhaps maybe your childhood and growing up? Um, Give us a little sense of, of where all that comes from. Well, I think some of it is a natural part of my personality coupled with like everybody I had things in my childhood that sort of helped form me I um, didn't always live with my parents my father passed away when I was very young uh, my mother you know very intelligent and uh, talented certainly not the most sort of organized or or person who could execute 
Um, and so I, I think um, coupled with my natural personality and somebody sort of needing to be that in the house, I think um, that sort of was part of why I ended up that way. And then you, you know, you launched that into sports where, you know, the hope in sport is that you have a level of consistency and that it's day in and day out. And when you win, you're got to go to practice the next day. And when you lose, you have to go to practice the next day. So I think it, it also was sort of reinforced through some of um, these, these uh, lifestyle uh, environments I was in, but also quite frankly, and I've said this before, Probably a level of fear. I think the measured part um, was a part of me that I don't like to engage in a lot of hassle. So I'm really careful with my words so that I don't get myself into a situation that now I'm putting out a fire versus expressing a feeling. Um, and when I, the reason I say fear is because there is sort of a bravery to saying it exactly how you really feel it in the moment. And I live with somebody like that. Like Laird has, you know, a lot is a lot more courageous um, because he's willing to like reveal himself even to people that he's not close to, like because he, he's just there. Right. Yeah. And me, I think when I say fear, um, stoicism has its place and it's great, but it's also, um, you know, maybe you don't really want to show everybody your sort of vulnerability. So that's something instead of looking at it only as a strength. Um, when you talk about growth, it's also looking at, yeah, but which side of my personality is making me this measured and just sort of at least being honest with myself about it. Not like I'm so stoic. It's like, yeah, yeah and yeah. you're a chicken too. Both. <laughs> you know, one of the things that really strikes me about you is that there's just so much self-reflection that you've gone on. I feel like you've gone on a pretty deep journey. Um, obviously thinking about sort of where you came from growing up I, uh, as an only child, you mentioned your, your dad dying in the plane crash and, um, you know, really kind of, as you grew up becoming an athlete, one of the things that I understand was that you were kind of two, you know, one, you lived in one location, you moved to another location, you're kind of back and forth. Maybe that had some impact on you as well. Yeah, I think, uh, that, that impacted me also in the way of being very resourceful and, and, and being here now and looking ahead. Um, because I think for me, I, one thing I've naturally done is sort of saying, yes, this is happening now, but what will be happening in a year and three and five? And what do I want that to look like so that I'm sort of bringing that awareness to the moment, at least when you're driving the ship, whether, whatever the ship is, if it's your professional ship, that usually shows up. I'm, I'm usually not so calculated, obviously, in my relationships, but in my work and, and, and such, it's like, you know, kind of moving things into a direction because I would see in my life where people would look up maybe with no plan or no, no discipline. And you think, oh, then you lose your options. And I think for me, because of the way I grew up, I was always very um, intense about wanting to make sure that I always had the freedom to have, you know, a choice because sometimes when people either don't have that opportunity or they don't, like I said earlier, that discipline, they don't create choices for themselves. And, um, and I, and one thing I'm very, I think I'm really intense about is a sense of freedom. Weirdly like, right. Like as, as disciplined and hardcore as I am that way, Within it, it's I am always feeling like that's my choice mm -hmm. to be that way because I'm also trying to protect my opportunities of having more freedom. 
And, um, and so I think it comes from that. That resonates with me very deeply. And I'm sure many of the listeners as well, as you know, you think about real estate investing. I mean, the reason why you invest in real estate is to keep choice and freedom in your life and continue to have options. And I think back and, and maybe I'm kind of making my own assumptions, which you know what they say about making assumptions in your own story. And I think about you growing up, becoming an athlete. From what I understand, you became an athlete closer to like the 11th grade and you started playing volleyball in 11th grade. So one of the first part of the question is how did, how did you accelerate your skill set so quickly? But also I'm almost thinking that you were, you became so committed and so consistent because of not only what you just shared about the freedom and the optionality, but also because you were form you wanting to really truly form an identity perhaps. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, certainly I think I was always looking cause I wasn't, again, I didn't come from a, a you know, particularly dialed in family. And so of course, I think we're all looking for tribes of some sort. So athletics and the coaches I had, I had also exceptional coaches that sort of could recognize that I was navigating certain things. And so they, they would take me a little bit more under their wing. Um, and, you know, one thing I, I've always been able to do because I didn't grow up with a ton of opportunity. So then when my junior year, I'd have, I always had very good peripheral adults in my life always since I was a little, since I was two years old. And so I think I really, you know, want to remind people is that sometimes it doesn't always come from the person it should, but life is still providing us with mentors or other people, right? So let's say in real estate, for example, if you're working with a boss, maybe your boss was supposed to tell you, but maybe it's just going to be a senior realtor who helps you or something like that. Right. So it's not about, um, well, this isn't fair or that's not happening. It's about recognizing what is happening. And so I think my junior year, I recognized, um, opportunity, uh, good coaches. I, you know, listen, I was 15. I was six foot, I'm six foot three. Um, I would say I'm athletic. Am I the best athlete? No. Am I disciplined? Will I work hard? certainly. Am I coachable? Definitely. So I had these attributes. Again, I wasn't burnt out. I was excited. It was, uh, and I recognized it as an opportunity, but it also lined up with me. I think we have plenty of opportunities in our life and you guys experience this in your business, but it's just not you still. And I think it's very important to be able to decipher an opportunity that reflects you versus, wow, this is a great opportunity. And guess what? It's not my thing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I just, I kind of fell a little bit into sport and, and that led me to playing in college and such. So is it an alignment of, you know, energy or listening to your intuition and your gut to be able to understand when that opportunity is truly presenting itself and you need to take action, you need to move in a direction or give me a sense of how you decipher those opportunities. I think it's really important for people to understand who they are and that's changing, but in that moment and who they are trying to be the things that they think will really make them feel fulfilled. Because if, if you're in a, a situation where you go, well, if I just have more money and I have more properties and I'm um, have more deals, Oh, it'll be better. You're not really connecting with who you are. That could be the case, but it may not. Right. So for me personally, for example, I had opportunities once I was through my first year of college uh, to work in New York and model and make very good money and also play college volleyball. And I 
was working very well, but I also understood that who I was was really more of the athlete and who what gave me a sense of purpose and expression was really being an athlete. And I wasn't distracted by people going, oh, kid, do it now when you can make the money and do all this. I did both, but I didn't forego one, you know, for the thing that everyone would have told me was the thing to do. And I think it's very important. We live in a world where we are told, you know, this is this is what you need to have to be happy. And so I always talk about the definition of success and also recognizing that we all might get to destinations differently and and not to buy into it. So if someone's in real estate, for example, there might be people go, well, this is how you have to do it. And it's like, but that may not be the way you do it. Mm -hmm. And so I think one thing I always did, and maybe that's because I didn't have a ton of roots. So the good side of not maybe not having a lot of family was I could establish my system any way I wanted. And so I always encourage people that when they move into systems, they can go, well, you know, this is how it gets done. And it's like, I respect that, but I might be doing things this way. And so I've always uh, honored that part of myself. Um, And so it's like quieting it out the noise, trying to make sure I'm making a decision, not from fear, but from desire. Um, And, um, and just, you know, trying to do my best and also pivoting. Like I could be in a situation for a while and be like, oh, this is no longer working or it's not great or what have you. And and obviously I do that better as I've gotten older, the pivot. And making decisions from desire rather than fear is much easier said than done. I know that we all, I'm sure many of the listeners, I know myself, I find myself in, you know, I have to course correct and pivot away from the making decisions out of fear to desire constantly on a daily basis. And I'm sure you have on your path as well, but talk to me about, so you, you started playing volleyball in the 11th grade. Right. I mean, that's super late for many athletes. And then, of course, we know the path that you took, which was really to the pinnacle of the sport. Talk to me about the acceleration of the skill set. Maybe it has to do with something that you just mentioned. You mentioned about being very coachable. You said tremendously coachable. Um, That was I feel like a clue, but I want to I want to follow that one. Maybe it has to do with consistency as well and just your commitment to doing whatever it takes. But could you talk to me about the acceleration of the skill set and how you were able to make that happen? Yeah. And so I. Uh, just to be really clear, I didn't pick up a volleyball for the first time my junior year. I, di- I was I grew up in the Caribbean. I played a little bit, um, but nothing overly intense. And then when I moved to Florida, my junior year is when I really, you know, sort of launched into volleyball and basketball. But what I would say is that I, if I trusted a coach or I respected a coach, let's use that word instead. That seems better. Um, I would forego my own. Uh, sort of points of view. If I had questions, I would ask questions like, well, why are we doing it this way? So I could learn and understand, but typically I could take information and translate it into movements. And, um, and it was, and it was really with this desire of, Hey, if we all have the same goal, which is for me to play as well as I can, so I can contribute to this team. So I can help the team win. Then I don't want, I'm not going to fight people on this. I'm going to, you know, see what happens. And, and, and if I do have a question, I can ask in a way that's like, I'm just trying, and I do this with my husband, I can ask Laird a question and say, this is like a genuine question. So I'm understanding this isn't a, I'm being combative question. <laughs> that's a good pre-frame. Right? That's important. Yeah. Well, listen, I've been in a relationship for 26 years. You learn like, Hey, I'm not, I don't even need to get into it. It's like, this is not like a, well, 
you know, I'm not trying to create a hassle. I'm trying to understand. Mm -hmm. And so I think I don't have a problem saying, even if it appears that I should understand, whether it's on the court or in life, but I don't, I just go, okay, I'm not really fully understanding. Can you, you know, dumb it down or break it down? Or can we look at it a little more? So I think for me, it was that and, and not, uh, not getting stuck. So as you get older and you're training as an athlete, when you're talking about developing your skill set, that you're always sort of trying to move into areas that even though they're uncomfortable, they, because of that stress or that newness, they will help you improve. Um, and then moving through that is in your life, you develop skills or ways of being that work really well for you typically, but even still keeping your mind open that, there is a better way to do it. And maybe it's not the way you do it. And so when you're talking about developing skills for me, um, it's a weird line of not bouncing all over the place. Mm-hmm. You can't be like, I'm going to try this and try that and try this. It's like exercise, right? Like a training regimen. You can't be like, well, this week I'm doing this and next week I'm doing that. Right. But you need something that's giving you kind of a foundation that you're building upon. But then within that, you're paying attention to information or modalities or things that you think, Oh, this could help me continue to grow. Even if it makes me feel uncomfortable or awkward, um, be it personally or, or professionally. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting. I mean, you think about there's finding that consistency through learning from others, from mentors and people that are sharing, Hey, there's a better way of doing this that you may not be doing, but also, you know, it's like taking in that information, but not accepting everything as the gospel, so to speak, to just totally change up your regiment every single week or every single day. That's a balance, right? So you had to learn that pretty early. Yeah. And I would imagine like, if I think about real estate, So you might have somebody who's like, uh, you know, shiny car dressed to the nines, la la la, here we go. And And you might be like, wow, um, I like people um, because I don't think you can be in real estate and not like people. So you can say, I like people, but I don't connect with people in that way. I Mm -hmm. connect, maybe I'm more relaxed or quiet or something. I think it's understanding what does the job really have to have? So obviously you can't, they can't walk in and you don't make eye contact and say, well, roam around. And if you have questions, right, you, you're there to do a job, but trusting yourself that your quiet way, let's say, um, is okay too. As long as you, if you know your stuff and you know your job and you're sincere about finding this buyer, the right house for them and such that you can look around and see a hundred other realtors and be like, they're badass, they're selling a ton and they do it really different than me. Yeah. I feel like this is one of the biggest things that we have to fight against in the world today is just shiny object syndrome. It's like, Oh, this new guru just taught me the new proven five-step method. And you know, now I've got to drop everything that I've been doing for the past few years and just follow that or or whatever. And and we have to fight against that. And that's probably one of the bigger challenges of, I think of the 21st century than, than anything else. It's like, we, we have to find this balance of feeding our mind and considering new ways of doing things and growing and evolving, but not just saying, look, I'm, you know, it's almost like being a success zombie where you just suck in every piece of information and then just change everything you're doing constantly. Um, That's a hard thing. And so, but the other thing too, is like, I, I think that your story, there's a lot to learn from. And I think about as you did that, as you kind of 
I guess maybe walked a tightrope in terms of accepting new information, being coachable while not just totally changing yourself constantly. And as you continue to grow, becoming an Olympic athlete, becoming really a, a champion in so many different ways. I mean, give us a sense of what that was like. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't as easy or as glamorous as it seemed from the outside looking in, but give us a sense of what that was like. Uh, well, so so for clarification, um, I, I played professional beach volleyball. I won a world championship, things like that. But here's the harsh side of my personality. Because my sport is so small, um, I was playing a four-on-four discipline, which was not in the Olympics. Two-on-two was in the Olympics. And in order to do that, I would have had to switch over, which I eventually did. But because I was navigating a a different story, meaning I was looking for a long-term opportunity to express myself. So for example, early in my professional career, I was doing television and writing and doing other things. Um, one, because it was a natural extension of who I was, but two, because my sport, quite frankly, is so small. A lot of the other athletes would be part-time teachers or something like that. I just was doing TV and other things. Um, is I opted um, to kind of go another route because I didn't want to look up from my sport and be like, now what? And so there was a part of me that um, that that's kind of the over practical side of me. Um, so it's not that it's not glamorous. It's, it's hard. Um, and the, the other interesting thing is when you get identified as something, especially if you have any success in it, um, the, the, the natural tendency is to want to stay there. Mm-hmm. And I knew very, I understood that there would be an end. And so I moved out, uh, prior to that because also things take time. So I knew if I was going to do anything else, it would take three to five years. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, we've built other businesses and and have have done other things. I have a family, things like that. So, I, you know, I guess for me, it's your essence, right? And when I say that, it's hopefully that's even improving, right? Like my spirit, my ego, what drives me, my ability to, to not have to be right to just, you know, all of those things. And then, um, within that it's developing new styles and ways of doing things. So, so whether I was playing volleyball or I'm a business owner or I'm a mom or I'm a wife or whatever I'm doing, um, that I was very careful not to make that my identity that I, it's like, okay, so again, real estate, Oh, you sold the most real estate in your area this year. Great. So next year is the only way you're going to be satisfied is if you're the number one person who does it. And then you'll start thinking, well, what are the ways I can be number one versus focusing on the thing that's very important. Right. And so I guess for me, I've never been concerned with um, the idea the identity, like even being married to Laird, right? There are times that literally I'm working for Laird, like I'll help Laird out, I'll get Laird dialed, I have Laird's schedule, um, because that's what that needs at that moment. So I'm, my essence is the same, however I'm expressing it in sport, in business, um, in a friendship, um, so that I'm, I can protect myself, because there's going to come a day 
that uh, nobody probably knows anything about me or cares? And how do I feel about that? And so I guess I just want to remind people that we're going to have up and down years. We're going to work harder than the return. Other years, it's going to be like it flows easily. Um, people are going to feel competitive with us. The more successful we are, people are going to, you know, whatever. And just to be really careful um, because it's a treadmill. You can't win, right? It's, it's unsustainable. So what is it that all of these things is giving who you are in your spirit first and not your age, not your gender, not your job title. Um, because then you, you have your power. Mm-hmm. Keep your power. I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm really loving this conversation because I can just really sense the amount of work that you've put into yourself to be able to do that. Um, because I can imagine it's very challenging, um, especially to disidentify as this, you know, as this Olympian, as, you know, as this Nike spokesperson, as all these things that you've done. I mean, and it's very, you know, I'm sure you go down this rabbit hole of, hey, but yeah, I am what everyone says. But then over time, disidentifying I'm sure has really served you in so many ways, but I can just tell the depth of work that you've had to put into this to recognize that, Hey, you know what? It's really more so about fulfillment than exterior, um, you know, labels or anything like that. And I think about the identity as being one of the most important things that we all have to work on. Right. And, you know, if we want to achieve things in our life, ultimately we have to think about, well, what's most important and what, who are we, what's our true essence? You were just describing that the true essence. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was really this identity and identifying as you versus all of these other things. And, and, and why has this been such a key to your growth because you continue to evolve and become the next version of yourself. And I think a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Rich Devinney, you know, he wrote the book on attributes and he talks about optimal performance. You were just talking about performance. It's about doing whatever it takes in that moment. Sometimes you may not feel well, right? Sometimes you may not feel like yourself and you just have to do whatever you have to do. Sometimes you have to help layered with whatever he's doing. Right. And so thinking about that, but going back to the identity piece, I mean, why has that been so important for your continued evolution as well? I think, cause I know I'll be really unhappy if I don't figure it out. And there's a part of me that is very keen to, to feel good, you know, just to, to feel okay with whatever is whatever time in life. And if I'm serving my family, if I'm working a ton or not working a ton, if I go someplace and people know me or don't know me, it's like, I'm just interested in, in, and feeling okay. And I'm not interested in, in being in races that I can't win that are made by man mm -hmm. that are actually based on everyone else's opinion, because that's the thing is I can control how I feel about myself, especially I can do that better when I'm not subjecting myself to, to the approval of everyone else around me. Now, yes. Do I, would I like it if my husband respects my conduct and loves me? Yeah, that feels pretty good. But I think in this other way, um, maybe it's like, I'm hoping in some way I could be masterful enough to be still enough that I recognize, I, you know, I know the stage and I know the theater, like I know how to do it. I believe me, I've been working for 30 something years, right. Sure. But that I'm clear about its place in, in everything. And, and that, um, 
I don't, I don't need to like, I don't want to have to prove anything. I want someone to meet me and think, wow, there's something about that person, me, that like, I can feel something like, I don't want to have to be like, oh, let me give him a resume. Cause that, who cares really? But if you meet, if you meet somebody and you go, wow, that's something about them, or I enjoyed speaking to them, or I connected with them. Um, and also quite frankly, it's, it's like being sure in your own strengths and just being like, I'm okay. I'm clear. I'm okay. I've done some stuff. It's cool. I know how to work hard. Okay. But it, it's like, I need to be okay with it. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. There's a lot of self-confidence in, in the self-awareness that, you know, that you've gone down in the journey that you've taken. And when I think about also just your perspective, it almost seems like there's a detachment to these labels or external, you know, quote unquote success that you've really taken on. And I think that's really valuable. And I think about from a real estate investor's point of view, it's like, you know, not only awards or recognition or top 10 lists or, even just cash flow or assets under management or, you know, all like being written about in the front page of the news. I mean, you know, in some senses that can be a very slippery slope. And I feel like that's kind of what you're speaking to. And, you know, when I think about this, it's, it's really investing in your own mindset. It's investing in your own perspective. So could you talk to me a little bit about how you do that or, and, and how do you strengthen that muscle? Cause that's really, I mean, I mean, if you really break it down from a science perspective, it is a muscle, your mind is a muscle. So how are you strengthening that muscle yourself? Well, first it's it, first and foremost, it's, it's you and it's harsh. And some people are more emotional than others. I'm very analytical. So that does make it easier. But first of all, don't BS yourself. Like it starts there every time. Why am I doing this? Like, even if like, let's say you're representing a, a property and there's maybe another realtor also, and you're like, you know, agitated because it's competitive and your ego and everything that's out of your hands. So I think it's really drilling down being like, I'm very honest when I have feelings that I'm like, Oh, that's my ego. Mm -hmm. like, Labeling a hundred percent. I don't ever like let myself slide on it. I'm like, Oh, there it is. Cause we're human. Yes. And, and even like, let's say you have a project or let's say you're, you, you're in real estate and you think I want to crush it. That's okay. But be honest with yourself. Don't be like, well, I'm, I enjoyed the job and I like meeting people. No, you want to crush it. You like the other stuff too. So I think it's also embracing everything that you really feel good, bad, and ugly. Take it all. Be like, I want to kick their ass because, you know, whatever it is. And then say, okay, what am I in charge of? What can I control? Mm -hmm. I can control how good of a job I do, how prepared I am, 
this other stuff, I can't, that's got nothing to do with me. And that's my silly, you know, alligator mind going, blah, 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 blah. It's like, Hey, it's cool. You know? And, but also being very direct. So for example, let's say you're working with another realtor that is shady and they do because people make moves and they do this and that. And I've actually learned this from Laird. There's actually, there's absolutely nothing wrong with going. And by the way, let's identify that over here, that move, that wasn't totally honest. So within it is a directness and a harshness so that you're living truthful too. It's not about concealing your feelings and not speaking your truth, but it's why and it's how, and it's sort of reminding yourself, what am I in control of? What actually can I impact or influence? And the rest is BS and my own kookiness. And you have that one person that you can go, oh my God, today, let me tell you about what I was thinking, you know? And it, and it, it's also a practice. So for example, gossip, don't gossip. You want to talk about working that muscle, don't gossip. If you have something to say to somebody, say it to them. Um, these are all opportunities to flex the muscle of managing yourself and managing your impulses. We have impulses, right? We have a lot of impulses and um, recognizing it. So it's it's like neither stuffing it down, but not being led by. And um, I think that those are very helpful and, and recognizing like when it comes up, go, oh, here's an opportunity. What am I going to do? And if you blow it, go, oh, I blew that one maybe even tell somebody because then there's that sort of full accountability and you can even look at it from further away. Um, and then when it comes up again, it's like when you say something snarky and it feels good for about 10 seconds, but that was actually, you were being weak. You were, that was, you were falling victim to your ego because unless you were going to do something about it, what was the point of that? That made you feel good for 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of come, can come across, right? That can be like shove the donut in your mouth. You know, it's like drink the extra alcohol, whatever. It's like these these are reflective everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just make some comment like you're driving with a lover in the car and you say it's this exit and they say it's that. And then when you're right, you think I told you. <laughs> or you know, why would you need to? Why do you need to? Why can't you just, it's there it is. Like the truth already, like who cares? So these are little practices all along where- you're trying your best at opportunities to master yourself. Yeah. And this is, this is critical. I think uh, one of the best books I've ever read is called managing oneself and it's like 30 pages. I mean, it's the shortest, but I don't even know. I think Peter Drucker wrote it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think about it and you know, you think if you want to go to the next level, it comes down to how do we look within and how are we, how are we interacting with other people? And I feel like what you're kind of describing is almost developing and instituting principles in your life and ways of behavior and ways of interaction. You talked about being direct with other people. It's like, that doesn't feel good in the moment for anybody, but it's probably, you know, worthwhile in the long run. And it's almost like easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life and hard conversations easier relationship in the long haul. Um, you know, managing yourself is not an easy thing. And sometimes you encounter really ugly stuff. Um, but in the long haul, you know, you can deal with yourself. You can listen to that voice in your head and I just, I I love it. But would you agree to that? I mean, you feel like it's almost instituting personal principles. Well, you have to, right. You have to have your own North star. It's like I tell my daughters, um, you've got to create your own 
set of values and you don't actually allow the behavior of others to impact your value. So, oh, they're acting crappy. So you drop down and you act crappy, mm-hmm. you know, someone's flipping out. And so you jump into the flip out party. It's like that. Is that how you're acting? Is that what that warrants? Um, you're going to show them. It's like, you know, and the thing is, again, I am six foot three, 180 pounds. And so I have a lot of natural space, right. As a woman, I have a, a space around me and I, I totally acknowledge that. So for your, actually for your female listeners, what I would say is, and I learned this from female coaches, there's a time to borrow from masculine behavior. And one of those times is in healthy, direct confrontation. Cause usually women as women, right. We we're taught, Oh, you have to be nice. Right. Um, so we usually have to get so hopped up mad to finally come out and say it. And then we go too far. Right. So I think, you know, even saying, knowing how to say like, Hey, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. Or when you did that, that didn't actually feel like it was completely truthful. And I just wanted to confront you with it. Cause I don't, I'm not going to discuss this with other people. And so, you know, I think there are skills, but also your value. Like, am I a person who's going to lie? Am I going to be a person who, um, you know, is going to react out of fear? Am I going to be a person who needs to be right? It's like, who am I, who, who do I so badly want to be? And who am I trying to continue to be? And how do those, what are the actions that support that? So it's creating a code and not letting people get you off your code, which is really the, you know, the trick, even, you know, listen, in my marriage, if Laird's in a weird mood and comes in and stomps around, I don't go like, what's your problem? I just keep holding my line. And sure enough, typically he comes back out of it. And this also lends itself to deposits. I call them deposits and withdrawals. Mm-hmm. If you've been in a situation with somebody a hundred times and 90 times they show up and they're badass, then you're not going to let them take some withdrawals and be like, oh no, you're going to, and I might know how to set a nice light boundary and be like, oh, huh, you know, but I, I don't need to go to where they are. Because I, I, I think, again, it's knowing your power. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried. Like, who's going to take advantage of me? And if you are really at the end of the day, that's kind of on you. For sure. Yeah. Extreme ownership. I think about extreme ownership, everything that occurs in our life and our business. Ultimately, if we can take a stance of extreme ownership, that's how we have the power to make a change rather than just being a victim of every circumstance, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your business again, uh, or anything really, I think having that extreme ownership for challenges and saying, look, it's up to me to make a change here. But you mentioned that borrowing that masculine behavior. I think that's a really valuable insight is there anything that you would say to the men out there to, to borrow from the feminine behavior? Is there anything that you would find valuable for, for men to consider? As I get older, I think the importance of learning to listen, and I'm not saying it's masculine or feminine, um, but I think there is a time to be robust and like, this is how it is. And there's all of that. And there's a time to sit back and listen. And especially if you're talking about real estate, right? You're going to understand something more about your client if you can pay attention. So I think it's 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 paying attention. I mean, obviously women with detail, right? That's why you'll see a lot one male realtor with a partner that's a female realtor. I have friends that do this. Um, so with men, obviously it's that execution of small detail. You know, a lot of times that... I always see my most high powered big male uh, friends and they always have a lot of women doing the details, Mm. all the 
BS, the fine details in between. Um, so certainly life is about, is, is the big vision. It's being able, like you say with Rich Divini, it's about being able to make a decision, mm -hmm. which I appreciate. So men obviously do that. Like this is what we're doing. Um, but women are, are very, I think they at times can listen and also their understanding of and the importance of executing all the little details um, because you can't just be like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, no, 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 no. Like that has to get done at some point. Yeah. Um, and with you guys with contracts and like, is the owner leaving this in the house or out of the house? It's like that all has to get dealt with. Um, but certainly um, just clear, clear communication. And, and I would imagine in your job, it would be very difficult because I would imagine you have some clients that are, uh, maybe they're not cool. Maybe they're not respectful. And actually, quite frankly, whether I was needing to make a living or not, I would have no problem firing people. Because <laughs> life's too short. That's the other side. What's your God? You get how much crap are you going to eat for one person? Mm -hmm. And so that's the other thing is being willing to go like, Hey, that doesn't work for me. And if you want to work together, that's like, you know, people like, I'm not going to, you can't, I'm not going to accept you talking to me that way or whatever. So it's up to you. So I think that on the other side too, that there's a, with the excess understanding comes another side. That's like, I don't care how much your house is worth and you want me to rep it or not. If you, every time you call me on the phone, you're screaming at me or acting like that. It, I don't care how much money it's not life. You will never arrive at your sort of dream life. If you, are working constantly with people that you just, you don't agree with fundamentally yeah. about the way you're being treated. You're valuable. Yes. Great. You could get a great reward for selling their property, but at what cost and over the accumulation of time. Talk to me about the power of surrendering and, and what that has meant for you, because what we've been talking about is, is really developing and instituting and behaving with values and holding your ground, you know, utilizing masculine energy, utilizing feminine energy, which by the way, is a yin and yang and kind of makes the world go around. So I think having an awareness of that is, is so critically important and really a key for many folks to take their, you know, influence to the next level, um, their relationships to the next level, their performance to the next level. But if you had to speak to surrendering, I mean, what role has that played in your own growth? I think, well, I think on some level it's, it's almost everything, right? It's, I mean, you just can't really, you can't really control much. And so it's like, how do we have these lofty dreams and, and build these lives and have a, have a map, right? Cause you can't get anywhere if you don't sort of have a map or direction. Um, but keeping your ears and your mind and your eyes open, because also what, you know, I always say, you know, when they say, oh, the universe is conspiring for you, I really believe it is. And if, if people, you, you know, if it's a, if it's their God or whatever it is, it's staying open because you could end up in a much better place than you could ever orchestrate. If you, if you move into the things, um, into that surrender. Um, and I, I think I especially learned that in parenting for sure, because you have all these ideas and expectations about the way it's going to be. And then you realize like, Oh yeah, you're crazy. And then what happens is, is that notion of, um, that in which you, um, resist persists. And so a lot of times when we have this idea of control, it's because we're trying to avoid something bad. 
Um, and so what ends up happening is I feel like we get stuck in these things longer versus acceptance and surrender. I feel like we move through even the crap, uh, probably a little easier. <laughs> that is really good. I mean, that, that quote that you just shared that, that you resist persists. And I think there's so much unbelievable, deep wisdom in that. And so recognizing that, you know what, maybe if you remain open and you stay open, then what could come your way could be bigger or more amazing than you could ever imagine. And by the way, I've learned so much just really getting familiar with you and and uh, thinking about your parenting style and some of the things that you've shared about your experience being a mom and, and being a parent. My wife and I are about to... Uh, you know, welcome twins into this world here in about a month. Uh, so we're very, very excited about it. It's funny. We have this whole, uh, we have this whole vision of, you know, them just thinking mom and dad are just the most amazing things in the world. And of course we know that that, that will not always be the case, but I think being open, uh, is such a valuable, valuable thought process that we can apply to everything in our life. But talk to me, are there any philosophies, any other philosophies or any other mantras that have been important for you in terms of surrendering and being open? And I mean, what you just shared was amazing, but are there, are there any others? Well, I think it's, it's, it's sort of understanding that, um, it, you know, not we have, cause somehow we got these ideas about perfection. And then, so surrendering comes from also being like, well, wait a second, how did it get set up? that it was supposed to be this way in the first place and that this is an adventure and it's a journey. And, um, we are the, you know, we are the orchestrators of it to some level. Um, cause I, I certainly am very proactive in my life. I'm, I'm not sitting here being a passenger, but I also simultaneously understand that there's so many things happening that I, I don't understand. And, and my, again, my children, because it was the hardest one to, to, to learn, um, was like, uh, when I don't make things a big deal with my kids, um, they get through it quicker. And also I try to remember what it was like. It's easier for me because I, ha I have three daughters I try to remember what it was like in some version when I was that age, mm -hmm. because somehow we all got to do, go through weird stuff and do weird behavior. But then once we become parents, we are so surprised that our children <laughs> do it. And so I think for me, I really try to be like, Oh yes, this is, this too is, is part of the process. And the other thing is your kids can see in your face. If you have that attitude, somehow what you're relaying to your kids is like, it's going to be okay. And I think it moves them through their crap faster than when you go like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. Then they're like, Oh my God, I must be this. And this must be the way it is instead of like, Oh, okay. I mean, I've had, I have a daughter right now. She just turned 14. And I just said to her the other day when she was 13, I go, listen, I don't expect you to be that now, but I'm just hoping through modeling and through other things that it will feel important and that you will be inspired to be somebody who maybe is grateful and gracious. And um, I go, but I, I don't know that I, I, I'm so worried that you would do that right this second. So it's like sort of saying to them, hey, I see where you're at. But dropping off that information again about like, your life probably will be better as your relationships will be too, if you maybe decide to move in that direction. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's a crapshoot. We'll see how it works out. <laughs> 
it's funny how people respond to your behavior more than your words. And even like a dog, you know, if you get well worked up about something, the dog's probably going to get worked up about something. If you remain calm, the dog is probably more likely to remain calm. And of course, I know that's a silly example, but I think it's the same thing in leadership, in influencing other people, in negotiating deals, in building relationships. It's how do you behave? What type of energy are you bringing to that relationship? And and really, I think that's what you're describing. I think that's so valuable. I just I feel like what we've talked about so far has been important in terms of helping the listener really craft and understand how they can go within and understand and know thyself, but also behave with others in a way that's meaningful, that moves things forward, that you know gets us to a closer life of fulfillment. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's like what Tony Robbins says, you know, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And I feel like what you have really lived and you have lived by example is leading in that capacity. But the other thing that I think is important is that, you know, health, health is wealth. You know, I remember Steve Jobs, he talked about this on his deathbed. He said, if I could give every penny back to have my health, I would give every penny. And let me tell you, it was a lot of pennies. All right. And so, you know, God rest his soul for sure. But one of the things that I really admire about you is that you have this continual commitment to not only fitness, but, you know, wellness and nutrition. So let's talk a little bit about that. And what does that look like on your end? And why has that been so important for you? Well, I don't need to lose my health to know how valuable it is. I think as athletes, we get injured enough that you're, you have the days that like you can barely walk or, you, you know, you need, you hope that you can, you know, sit down on the toilet by yourself because your knee is out or whatever. Right. So you get a look, a glimpse without getting sick, usually, especially through injury of like, oh, wait a second. I took walking from here to there for granted. Never mind jumping and doing whatever. Right. So that, that I think that, I think for me also, um, sort of feeling good and moving and eating in a way that supports my um, constitution, which means the whole constitution, um, helps me show up better as a person. And um, we can be high performance, but are we only high performance in one slice of our, in our life? And so I know a lot of people, a lot that are super high performance in sort of one piece of the pie. And the collateral damage typically in the rest is, I always go, Ooh, it's not worth it. Or when those chickens come home to roost, it's gonna really be a bitch. And mm. so I think for me, I use that as a tool to keep me high performance and also kind of maintain that homeostasis to make better decisions, to have better reactions. Um, and, um, and also to protect an asset that is easily overlooked. But in the end, I, I don't need anyone to remind me it's the number one besides my, you know, my, my family and my friends. And so um, I'm, I've always been diligent, certainly since I was about 18 in motion and then food by like 24 or five, um, because it's, again, what is in my control. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say to people, everybody's busy. I get it create a system, create infrastructure, create scaffolding around your life that that's put in there like everything else. Um, and so, cause usually that's the first thing that people put to the side. Oh, I don't have time for that. So I would say to them, whether it's creating a schedule, someone else to meet, creating accountability, a system, because you have to, people have all the information, but you have to have the practice in place. And so it's not one without the other. Um, so I would encourage people that it's scheduled like 
everything else. And you will always have a spontaneous showing uh, during your training hour. And at some point, you're going to have to make a decision and say, I'm not available. Yeah, that's that's super important um, in building that framework to say, all right, now this is the general plan and I can adapt and I probably will have to adapt anticipating that I think is important. Give us a look behind the curtain. What does a regimen look like for you? How often are you training? How long? What's the, what, what does that look like? And then maybe, maybe some of your top sort of importance in terms of nutrition as well. I mean, what's, what, what do you focus on and, and from a high level? Well, nutrition's the king and everyone's heard the expression, you can't exercise out of a bad uh, diet. Or, you know, and that's true. So I don't care how much people are running. Um, for me personally, I just eat real food. I eat when I'm hungry. Um, I generally, my biggest meal will be my middle meal of the day if I have one. So either I, I may or may not have lunch depending on my work schedule, meaning uh, training and such, and then have a meal at the end of the day or have a giant meal. And then maybe only more like vegetables at night. Um, I, I don't drink alcohol, but not because I'm, I just grew up in the Virgin islands and everyone drank a ton. And it just was like a big, like you were like, Oh, this is like a big train wreck. Um, I would, I would have people look at the alcohol consumption in their lives. Cause it's sneaky. It sneaks up. Mm -hmm. Um, Laird drank alcohol for maybe the first 10 years of our relationship. And, um, I think it's a very tricky thing. Alcohol. Um, if someone says I have a couple glasses of wine through the week, yeah, cool. But a lot of people, that is one that'll kick your ass because of the sugar. Never mind the alcohol. Everything is about mitochondria, how the ability for the body to function, mighty, you know, metabolic function, insulin resistance. These are the things that if we can stay on top of. So sugar, processed foods, that will um, kick your ass in a whole real way. Um, Americans typically drink 20% of their calories. So even if people go, well, I drink diet, it doesn't matter the way it gets stored in your body. It doesn't work anyway. So, uh, you know, stick to your teas and your waters and such, um, and inflammation, right? So that's the other thing that most of us are dealing with is chronic inflammation, um, which makes it hard then if people are saying, well, I want to lose weight. It's because then now your body's not functioning correctly. So with nutrition, it's number one, get to bed. You can't recover. Your cortisol levels will never, you know, work in your favor. If you don't actually get rest, not for you so much in the next coming month, because you're going to have twins. And you just, <laughs> Hey, when you're in certain phases of life, when I was had a new baby and I'm nursing and I'm up, that's just what it is. Right. But let's say if you can. Okay. Um, and then with exercise, I, I can, I exercise probably five to six days a week, depending. Um, I do hit training, um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I'm in a walk in the water, um, doing ballistic training with weights in the pool. Uh, when I can get in there a couple of days a week, I do not as much as Laird. I do do sauna and ice. Um, I would encourage people to try to get a breathing practice five, 10 minutes here and there. Um, and when you're sitting at your desk, keep your mouth closed and breathe through your nose. Uh, because, um, if you want the science on it, the reality is uh, you have to have, you know, your CO2 rises in your system when your mouth is closed. Right. And so if you nasal breathe, which typically means you breathe into your belly, when you mouth breathe, you breathe into your chest. So when you breathe into your chest, you start to upregulate, you create, you know, you go into fight or flight, you create anxiety, such. So you want to down regulate, breathe through your nose, down into your belly, 
Second part of the breath goes into the lower part of the ribs. And then the third part can go actually go to the upper back and lat. So it's a three parts breath. And then when you exhale, bring your belly button to your spine, exhale slowly through your nose. Now what'll happen is you'll drop your repetition per minute. If you're mouth breathing, you're 10 to 13 breaths per minute. If you're nose breathing, you're four to five. So unless you're sprinting on a track, if I could say to all of your audience, when you're driving in your car and sitting at your desk and showing your properties, notice if you're mouth breathing or nose breathing. So for everybody, again, unless you're sprinting and you need that big scoop of air to recover, breathe through your nose. Um, we can get into, you know, your body can't absorb the oxygen you're breathing in if you don't have a certain level of CO2. So if you're mouth breathing, you're scrubbing your CO2 all the time, your body can't absorb the oxygen into the cells and tissue. So this is number one, the free easiest thing to do to support your health is not to be a mouth breather. And they joke, if you look at movies, all the idiots are mouth breathers, right? So it protects your teeth, your jaw, myofascial development for kids, things like that. Um, and if people really want to get crazy, they could get soft tape and make sure they're breathing through their nose when they're sleeping at night. And you just kind of look silly when your mouth is just hanging over. <laughs> How much you want to bet everybody that's listening to this podcast right now is, has their mouth closed and they're breathing deeply <laughs> through their nose. Like I am, I'm sitting here. I'm just like, wow, my mind is blown right now. This is amazing. Well, and take your tongue. The other thing for people to do is take your tongue and just make sure it's gently sitting at the roof of your mouth. Cause what this does is also keeps the mouth and jaw open in space. And that's very important for children. Um, if people have young children and they are mouth breathing when they're sleeping, their jaw development is different. And also if you have a new baby, um, always make sure you're, that everybody checks that underneath the tongue is not tied. That little piece underneath the tongue, if it's shortened, then the tongue can't rise to the roof of the mouth. And that's also what keeps the jaw shut and keeps the jaw open. We want to have big, wide jaws. We don't want to be like, like this. <laughs> so that's a very easy thing um, for, for people to do. And I would say if you did that, that's as valuable breathing well. And when you exercise, notice if you can try to keep your mouth shut. That's amazing. I We have not talked about that on the podcast before. So that is super helpful. Thank you for that. I actually learned something about breathing techniques as well. And it's funny because we were instructed, I was at a I was at a conference and we were instructed to breathe deeply and the entire crowd, you know, breathes deeply and you can see everyone's chest going out and, and going yes. up. And what we learned was that really to breathe deeply, it's about letting your belly expand. And I found that to be fascinating. It's like you get, you get such a better breath when you focus on that. And if people need to practice a really easy thing they can do is especially women, cause we have to have our tummies flat, right? So we're really hard <laughs> about just letting it hang out <laughs> is you take your finger, you put it right below your belly button. And all you do is do a quick, short breath from your nose. You go in and push your stomach out. So you force it, you go, and then you can take your belly button and slam it toward you. <laughs> right. And so that's the way to touch the diaphragm to know what that feels like to pull the breath down into that soft, open belly. And they, that's correct. They're called the circular breath. And so people also have to be careful when they take a deep breath that they don't raise the traps. Because again, this is stress. We're trying to use our breath to keep us calm all day long. Stay as calm as you can. Down-regulate. 
just another example of, you know, the more, you know, I mean, the more, you know, about your state and what that communicates to your amygdala and your subconscious mind and the way that you then behave, the way that you interact with other people. I mean, obviously from a health perspective, there's tons of value, but there's so much more value. I mean, there's, it's all interconnected. Gabby, this conversation is amazing. I'm like, I could go on for hours and hours and hours, uh, but I want to be respectful of your generous time that you've offered us today. But before we end today, I want to transition to the wrap up rapid fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire. Uh, it's all about being uncommon. I think the, the introspection that you have taken over the years to be able to look within and to be able to share this incredible depth of wisdom with us today, uh, is uncommon and your commitment to that is, is palpable. So I just want to thank you for that. But, uh, I've got a few questions for you. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Impactful books. Uh, Oof, let's see. Um, well, I read some books by Byron Katie that helped me. She has a program called The Work. So personally, I would say that was was a very helpful um, book for me for performance. Um, you know, if you want to talk about breathing, for example, um, The Oxygen Advantage or Bre uh, by Patrick McCune or James Nestor wrote a very good book called uh, Breathe uh, for people for that. I did read recently, and it was just interesting, was um, was uh, Jim Quick's book on limitlessness. Mm -hmm. So for the audience, since they're into that, it's the ability to develop to read quicker, retain more, things like that. He has some very helpful tools into that. And um, I mean, listen, given what's going on in the world now, I read a book called The Madness of Crowd of Crowds, uh, the last uh, Douglas Murray. And um, it does give you some insight um, into maybe some of the mentality of um, maybe the world or how we've arrived at some of this. Mm -hmm. And you talked about early in the conversation tribes and, you know, our tendency to want to be a part of a tribe. So we've got to take an inventory of who it is that we're surrounding ourselves with. And, and I've not read that book, but I'll look forward to it. And we'll put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find those books as well as your book, Gabby. Uh, My okay. Foot is Too Big for the Glass Slipper, obviously a New York Times bestselling book uh, yourself and more on Gabby's story. So you'll definitely want to check that out. So check the show notes for that. But Gabby, if you had to point to the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, what would that be and why? I think my self-care practice is the thing that helps me help lift everything else up, whether it's my family or my work. I think my um, that practice really helps. And I and I have, a, a, you know, I I keep trying to learn and uh, take in new information and and I think that that also that curiosity certainly helps. Yeah. And I've, I've heard you say this before and I, I found it to be really valuable. And you said, you know, it's like, what, what even is high performance? And you described it as almost the eternal student or the eternal learner. And I almost feel like that's what you're referring to there. Yeah. I think it's important um, to be in the journey and not to be one of those weak, like, I can't stand when everyone's like, you know, every latest podcast book, but like really moving into things that interest you genuinely and then being able to discuss it and, and things like that. Just, 
You know, what's interesting for me is I'm old enough now that I am living in a new world. And so I need to try to continue to understand the world that I'm living in. And the only way I can do that is, is to keep learning and reading and listening and paying attention. Mm-hmm. And you've certainly gracefully um, evolved, you know, now as an entrepreneur, um, as a speaker, as a podcast host yourself. I mean, you know, doing big things and it, it certainly speaks to that. And, and you set a great example for us today. Uh, but what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Gabby? I think I make space for people. I don't think I tell people what to do. I think um, for the people in my life, um, I just, and what, and even if it's on the podcast, right? Like in my podcast, I don't tell people what to do. I just say, here's let's, you know, let's communicate, let's learn some stuff. What feels good to you? Take that away. That'll be right for you. Um, so I think it's, it, I'm learning to, to try to represent, like be myself, be willing to show what that looks like and make space for other people. Um, and if somebody asks my opinion, I learned this from a friend of mine, you have to ask me, then I will definitely directly give it to you. But I don't just, you know, puke up my opinions everywhere to everybody. Um, my friend will say to me, I'll give him this whole scenario and he'll be like, and I look at him like, okay. And he goes, I didn't hear a question in there. And I'm like, oh, so I try to even do that with my kids. Like sometimes my daughter, my youngest will be sharing something and I'll say, can I ask a question? And so it's almost, it, yeah, it's almost like you're pre-framing, right? Well, and also respecting people, even though I'm very intimate with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Giving them the opportunity of opting in, right? There, there's so much, it's, it's simple, but it's a big change. It's like, may I, <laughs> may I intrude at this moment? And um, tell you yes or no. Right. <laughs> For the most part, they'll probably say yes, but I think there's a, there's a big difference in not asking that question, asking that question, but Gabby, I just want to acknowledge you. I mean, my goodness, there's such a depth to who you are and and the journey that you've gone on. And my goodness, I mean, there's so much wisdom that we've learned today. And I know that you're continuing to uncover yourself. So I just want to honor you. I just want to appreciate you and take a moment to to really to share that with you because uh, I'm sure the listeners can see that come through. But this is this has been a hard one uh, depth of wisdom that you have. And I know your journey is, is only beginning in many different ways. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? I think it's, you know, our responsibility is to ourselves first. No one can do it for us. You know, not our, not a friend, not a lover. No one can make us feel the things that we're looking to experience. It's really, such a, that is such a personal thing. And, and just to remind people though, and having said that, even with my, you know, unknown brothers and sisters, it's like, we are all off genuinely connected. And so how do I take care of myself, but then, you know, make room for people to be very different than me and, you know, have the strength to love them and, and remember that, it's very important for us. The more we can view each other as all connected. Um, and I feel like more, certainly now more than ever and, and being of service or letting someone else go first is not showing weakness or being taken advantage of. It's showing actual real, real strength. And, and I think it's important that we protect some of those values that maybe um, they're quiet or they're, or they're moving away a little bit. 
Well said. Well said, Gabby. I can't wait till uh, we have another conversation, but uh, thank you so much again for being on the podcast today. Tell the listeners where they can find you and learn more about what you do. Uh, well, I have, you know, Instagram, Gabby Reese, my, I have a show called the Gabby Reese show. Cause I'm such an original thinker and, um, <laughs> you know, that's it. Um, we have a food company, Laird Superfood. Um, if people are into coffee and creamer and, and that's it. Beautiful. Gabby until next time. Thank you again. And we'll see you soon. Aloha. Elevate Nation. Gabby Reese just brought the heat. And I think that's one that we're going to have to listen to a few times because there is tremendous depth of wisdom in this conversation. And I'm just so grateful um, to be able to share this with you. And I hope that you see how powerful this can be. And it is about a reinvention. It is about surrendering. It is about expanding. It is about finding fulfillment and really ultimately you know, what else really matters at the end of the day? I mean, that's, that's what life is all about. It's not about labels. It's not about what other people think of you or what you think is important to other people or what you think, you know, people need to think about you. It's, it's truly about designing a life. And I think that we've learned such a depth of wisdom that we can apply to our lives, to our business, to the way that we behave with other people, the way that we influence other people through this conversation today. So I want to encourage you to go deeper and re-listen to this episode and identify what are your top one, two, or three takeaways that you are going to apply immediately. Because, you know, let's, let's, let's face it. Um, we learn a lot, a lot goes in one ear and out the other, but ultimately if we capture, if we capture and we focus, that's how we have the opportunity of moving forward and expanding and changing ourselves. And I think we have to be open to continuous change. So I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show and identify your top three key distinctions. And ultimately, the most important part here is going to be not only to share with someone else and have a discussion with someone else in terms of how is this changing you, but also how might this change them and how might you implement what you learned today. Ultimately, the most important part is implementation and massive action. So until next time, Elevate Nation, make sure you're out there taking massive action. Appreciate you listening so much, and we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.